Alrighty, welcome once again to another episode of Crossover Commerce. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is my corner of the internet where I bring the best and brightest Amazon and e-commerce experts in the industry, or at least I like to think so. At least uh, I look up to them and I want to make sure that you're getting the best knowledge that you can since time is money, getting all the information we can out of our guests uh, on every single episode is my goal to make sure that you can apply that to your business, make it more profitable, grow it, um, whatever your goals and ambitions might be. But that's what e-commerce is all about, of course, and that's what crossover commerce is about as well. This is episode 159, but before we get into the thick of it, crossover commerce is presented by Ping Pong Payments. No, we are not a tabletop in this company. We are a cross-border payments solution. What does that mean for you? You as a seller, you're paying a manufacturer or distributor in a different country, which 90, 95% of entrepreneurs are, you're going to be needing a solution that's going to save you time, money, and effort, not waiting around for currency exchange to happen. You need to pay them effectively in their localized currency. And that's where ping pong steps in at a quick, effective, and cost-effective way to do so. You want to talk about and use ping pong payments. Go ahead and sign up for free in the link below, or you can obviously go to pingpongx.com and just mention crossover commerce. Go ahead and sign up. It's free today, and you're going to be saving tons of money to apply it towards your business. Might as well go ahead and do that. But of course, after this episode that you might be watching today or listening to us on your favorite podcast destination. So thank you, Ping Pong Payments. Of course, check them out for free. It's again, it's sign up. It's free to sign up um, today. So that being said, again, everyone who's watching and listening uh, live to us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or Twitter, we appreciate the follow and the tune in on this beautiful Friday. At least it is where I am. It is fall this week, or it's beginning of the fall season. Q4 is next week. What do we need to worry about today? But first and foremost, I think I want to take even a step back farther from that and say, what do we need to know about Amazon and how is it operating on a day-to-day basis? I think a lot of people want to think they have figured it out. There's lots of nuances about Amazon that someone may or may not meet, uh, necessarily know. So how does it actually operate? It's not eyeballs. It's not people that are looking around, scouring the internet every single day, uh, ranking based upon what they feel it is, uh, what they feel is objectified or opinionated. It's actually an algorithm. And that's what we're going to be talking about today with our special guest, Danny McMillan. Danny is the founder of Seller Sessions, as, as well as tons of other great content out there. Um, Seller Sessions Live, which is coming up actually in the UK, uh, or I should say he is in the UK, but it is happening in London here in the next couple of weeks, uh, but then also doing things like seller sessions, uh, awards and polls, uh, but also hosting a fantastic podcast, 600 plus episodes with him and his team over there, uh, both former uh, friends of the show, again, friends of the show, Isabella and Sharon Evans as well. So that being said, he wanted to come on. Uh, he's gracious enough to spend some time. I know he's in uh, the UK right now, so it's a little bit later and on a Friday. So we're going to give this an action-packed so much content episode uh, that we're going to pile into as as little time as possible so you can take that information and apply it to your business today. Uh, with that being said, want to go ahead and welcome to Crossover Commerce, Danny McMillan. Danny, welcome to Crossover Commerce. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing well, sir. Uh, now you're in the guest chair, but as people may not uh, may already recognize, you're, you're one of the most respected thought leaders in content creators in the space in terms of consistency. Uh, but if people for some reason haven't, uh, haven't already come across your content or information, kind of what's that background for you as a 
entrepreneur, individual? How'd you get in the e-commerce space? What's that little brief bio, if you will? Yeah, I mean, I started uh, selling on Amazon in 2015. In 2017, I launched Seller Sessions. We're up to, I think, about 750-something episodes. And we obviously brought on Isabella Hamilton and Sharon. So they do Mondays and Thursday, respectively. And then I do Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, also run uh, Databrill. So I co-founded that with Dr. Ellis Whitehead, which is a uh, PPC um, technology company. We write all our own technology, etc. And we look after seven, eight-figure sellers there. Then I've got Sellerpole, which is the yearly award for the Amazon community. So this is coming up to year three. I'll be announcing that soon. And Branded by Women, which we do once a year to promote ladies in the space that are doing great things. And, of course, Seller Sessions Live, which is a yearly conference. And the rest of the time, I'm off on tour, speaking around the world, et cetera, et cetera. So. Yeah, you, you kind of talked with me already about that tour. I'm super excited for you in that regards. You don't have any time in your schedule, my man. Uh, I don't know when you sleep. I don't know when you operate. But uh, what, what's that kind of like to have all these kinds of uh, uh, pokers in the fire, if you will? And is it, is it just because you want to get content out there? Or what, what's kind of the drive behind that? It, you do things that you love, right? So I have three rules. I actually say no to about 99% of stuff. And the way I was able to structure those no's is, does it make meaning? Will it make me happy or does it make me happy? And then the final one, will it make me money? They're the business ones. And normally what you find is that you can't align all three of those because right. if it makes meaning, you'll make money in most cases, right? If it makes you happy when you're having a shit day, you get up and you get the job done, right? And you can't be in business that. unless you make money. So if you can find something, look at Branded by Women. It makes money, but it won't make the money that other events make, right? But we're trying to change and persuade different behaviors within inside the community so it makes meaning because we're making change right and then what happens is the money comes later but the fact is is that i enjoy dinner work i'm surrounded by brilliant women we put them on and so it's everything i do is in and around those things like i'm i'm past the age of chasing a pound note yeah so for me i don't get stimulated by chasing money it just doesn't stimulate me. So I have to find things that stimulate me. So if something makes meaning, it makes me happy, and it makes me money, I'm not working. So every day okay. is a vacation in some senses. Yeah, you get stressful days. But if you can find stuff that you love doing, it means because you enjoy it, you tend to excel at that. It doesn't mean you're the best or anything else, but you excel at that because that's your drive for getting up every day. You have to have a purpose in life. A lot of people don't always find what their purpose is. I know what mine is, so I go heads down every day, and I'm happy to do the grind. That's amazing. Well, I, I think those are good words for obviously any entrepreneur too, because uh, I I I grew up actually, and I'm still trying to figure out. You know, what, what are those things that you want to do? And I hate the question of what is your ultimate goal in life. But I think I think a lot of times people can actually find, use the word, what are you passionate about and what do you like doing on a day-to-day -day basis and kind of encompassing what your your happiness is around. Um, like I said, this podcast has kind of been a passion project in mind of just talking to people like yourself and thought leaders in the space, people who walk the walk and talk the talk. It becomes so much more easier when you, you find that one thing every day where you can wake up, you can say, this is going to be a great day, regardless of all the other shit that's going on in my life. I actually get into uh, talk with 
him on a Friday or, you know, I don't want to wake up or I don't want to do the the prep work for that. So stuff like that, I always find super fascinating that people just kind of go and again, it's a little adage of I get stuck in a nine to five, but for people who are in the space, it's actually more than a nine to five. It's kind of that constant. Grind, it's, so. there, there's no work life balance. It's all consuming. So this is why you need to integrate it into your life because people go, oh, yeah. Who signs off at five o'clock on the dot and don't look at their email? Even people in corporate and, and they don't do it. There, there is barely a separation between the two other than if you work for the man, then you'll get a wage, you get a salary at the end of the month, right? Mm -hmm. But the thing is, an entrepreneur, the buck stops with you. The burden of performance is on you. Success is only rented. Every day you're paying the rent. So what you've got to do is you've got to be good with paying that rent. And if you're happy to pay that rent, but you're doing things that you enjoy. So there's a difference between doing something you're passionate about. And that's the only reason. That's why I said it's part of the three rules. Right? Right. Does it make meaning? Does it make me happy? Does it make it make money? Whereas some people might say, follow your passion, but you need to work out those logistics in between. Can you do, does it, does it solve a problem? Does it help people? Do you, do you see where I'm coming from? Like not right. just chasing your passion. So you could have a passion project where uh, you want to knit jumpers. The chances of doing that and making that a success by hand and only you is going to be very limited. So you have to pick things that you can be passionate about that have meaning, but of course they're going to make money. It doesn't have to be today. Like I like to do everything I do is long-term. So if I look at something like branded by women, I'll go and raise the shit ton of sponsorship money. Yeah. And yep. we, we go hard on the market in the videos, production and everything else. Right. The conversion rate is a lot lower. Right. Mm -hmm. The most conferences, because most of the tickets are bought by men. But now them habits are starting to change. So it might take me to five, six, seven. It doesn't matter how long. But you know you're going to get there because that's part of your purpose. You're on a mission mm -hmm. and you just get it done. And that's really what right. it comes down to. You just you find it. You you embellish everything about it. And then you go out there and go and get the job done. That's all right. it's about. Is that what is that what makes the most uh, the, the major difference between entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs, and uh, the ones that who fail more often there, than not? Is that there's drive? far more successful entrepreneurs out there than me because the nature of me not chasing the pound. No, I could earn a lot more money by saying no to ninety nine percent of things because right. money isn't my driver. So you need to define your success, right? I know lots of people that have made a shit ton of cash, and once they got there, they wasn't happy. They were still finding their meaning and their purpose. And if you spend all of your life being super disciplined to chase money and then still be unhappy, you've still got to find your life's purpose. Do you see what I mean? Right. So it's part yeah. of the, it becomes part of the journey. The goal is the journey, Absolutely. right? So every day you get up, you might as well enjoy it because being a, a business owner has its downsides as well. Again, burden of performance is always on you. Accountability is always on you. And the rent has to be paid every day. Right. Well, most entrepreneurs are are making their their earnings and paying their rent via yeah. Amazon. So I guess like going into our topic, I know your time is so valuable. Everyone's time is so valuable. So kind of taking that step back, if you will, of not going into so much deep content, but you your your passion is figuring out Amazon, right? Amazon is this big. Um, 
I won't call it, uh, it's an ecosystem, but it's this cerebral living, breathing thing that constantly is evolving over time. It's almost like a, this big AI computer that is constantly changing and evolving and adapting. So people don't even know exactly uh, what an E9 algorithm is, but it actually is what operates and kind of is helping in that background of making sure everything is on a platform or playing field, if you will. So for the person who may not understand, oh, that I didn't realize that's what Amazon operates under. What, what is the A9 algorithm, if you will? Well, A9 is the what you use for organic, for, in basic terms, A9 is what you use for organic searching. When you go to the search bar on Amazon and search, obviously it'll return PPC results as well because of the ads. Mm-hmm. But generally that is what A9 is there for. It's a search engine, just like Google, but rather than Google searches for the, you know, putting to get, bringing together the world's information, this is about refinement of bringing the most relevant products to the end user or the person who's ready to purchase. So when you type and search on Amazon, that searches intent when you're, you're very determined of what you want to buy. Right. It seems very clear. Mm-hmm. Whereas Google, you're there, you do the research to find these kind of places in terms of commerce or just information. Whereas on Amazon, you know exactly what you're doing. You shop on there because you want to go in there for convenience. So ultimately, the, the, it comes down to relevance, obviously, conversion rate, etc. as I'll go into the information I've got here. So the way I've kind of done it is that a few months ago, I come across a load of uh, science literature. Right. So there's uh, Amazon.science. You can go on there. And there's The Joy of Ranking, which was a video that I found on YouTube, which is by Doria Sorinka. That was published in 2016. So she's done a visual and audio presentation from that. And then I've got the science lit that I've set up uh, some slides up, which are called open source. because I believe that discovering that research papers and everything else and extrapolating that information isn't really by my design you you know i don't do courses anyway but you know i I think it's it should be in the hands of each and every amazon seller as the information is freely available out there and if you sell on amazon it's going to be your bread and butter now i don't expect you to understand the hunger score and how that operates and and various different ways that it works on the platform but there are a lot of key things that you should be aware of that you can take away from this chat today at which will help you move forward in terms of what you're doing. Because obviously there's people come up with theories and they come up with their tests, right? And they have a theory behind those tests that they executed, whether they come out good or bad, they use observations. Right. I've just taken the data from the team, which is public information, then broke that down. Uh, I've actually got like 200 slides. We won't cover it today. I've got 200 slides worth, but. <laughs> The hardest job I had was to take this information that would send a glass eye to sleep, right? But how do you make it palatable and most importantly, digestible for an Amazon seller to go, oh, yeah, I get that bit. I get that. And so that was quite a hard task to kind of maneuver that content. One, so people still hold their attention to to want to hear about it and to deliver it in a way that where they can become useful for to give them antidotes sure. of how that can, can benefit them. Very cool. So, so breaking that down. Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds like something taking it, taking so much time and effort. What, what were the most surprising things I think? Is, is it something that shocked you more or did it verify more than what you thought? Like everyone has this idea of, I really think that this is like their own, 
their own hypotheses, if you will, but they don't take it the step further and say, I'm going to prove my hypotheses. You kind of took the data that's raw, it's open out there. Um, Amazon's somewhat public about some of those API accesses and whatnot, but did you, you, well, there's no API down. There's no APIs. Like you got the advertising API, got right. MWS and other uh, APIs, right. but exactly. not, not Certain necessarily access for A9, you know? So exactly. Uh, so, so this is something you broke down. Did you, did you find something super surprising or uh, maybe like shocking or was it verification of? I think the biggest takeaway, if you were to turn this show off now, right? If you were just to say, right, what do I need to know? Right. Obviously sales, that's a no brainer. But one of the biggest things from that, and it keeps referencing back to, is add to cart. This is why you've got a plethora of people doing add to cart in the industry. Whilst that's not in the terms of service as manipulation, because the verbiage is not there to support it because it hasn't reached ubiquitous status. Because although we, we work in this kind of community of Amazon, right, it's actually small in comparison to every seller they have on the platform. It's not just us, right? So we know a lot of people in the community. The community is of a certain size. So you become an echo chamber. It's the same with Black Hat and things like that, which I don't encourage. But Black Hat is only a tiny problem on Amazon in comparison to the global size of it. Does that make sense? Yep, so it's, it's the same with A9. Not many people on a scale would actually know too much about it because it's it's like a black box but for everyone in our community they get excited they, that's why they listen to podcasts they go on the blogs they go into the the forums and stuff right and mm -hmm. so this is why this information will be important to them because it's part of bread and butter of what they do every day right it's a leg up on the competition if you will uh, it, it's not a bad thing it's just actively using the tools in your favor yeah. like, as they as they're deemed um, available so uh, yeah. What are those? Should, things I, should I go through some bits here? Just uh, I yeah, want to because I've I pulled out some quotes as well, rather than doing slides and stuff, and because it's more yeah. like a conversational base. So, uh, according to Amazon's own data, seventy percent of Amazon customers never click first uh, past the first page of search results. Right? Makes sense. Thirty-five percent of shoppers click on the very first product featured on the search page. Right. The first three items displayed in search results account for 64% of the clicks. So if you think about desktop and you see the way that PPC move, this is why Amazon's become the pay-to-play platform. And on the desktop, often your organic is going to be pushed down close to being below default. Right. So your visibility starts to really disappear, right? So if you're not on page one, according to Amazon o data here, 81% of clicks on brands are on the first page of search results. So going back quickly to the, the biggest part, I would say, in terms of a signal, because it's, a, it's a, a conversion that's on a continuum, right? So the cell, the final cell, is the conversion, but it's what you build into. Mm -hmm. Now, people manipulate using um, Add to Cart, but Add to Cart will take you to the bottom of the first page. It won't take you up because you need actual physical cells binded to those keywords to activate to get it up the page. And if you've noticed when people do search find buy and stuff, it's very easy to go from up in the gods at 432 to hit the bottom of page two in a matter of days, right? You see it just ping, you go and look at um, Helium 10 or whatever. It's very easy to get there because realistically, all the activity is taking place or nearly all the activity is taking place on page one. Therefore, anything short of page one on a balance of probabilities is a complete waste of your time. You're literally ghosted. Yeah. 
So um, it, yeah, so if, yeah, that's fascinating because like ranking wise, that's that's kind of difficult to that would that would make me think about my ranking strategy completely different. Yeah. Uh, obviously, how to get it up there and let the organic kind of nature take over it. Page yeah. one, page two have, are obviously a holy grail uh, yeah. of where you're going to be in any sort of search functionality. Makes sense. Yes. Um, so the other thing is as well, there's been a big thing, uh, not a big thing, but generally it pops up every so often. There's a blog post or a feature talking about A10. Now, A10 does not exist and it's nowhere to be seen in the science literature as well. And the quote here, small improvements in relevance can positively impact millions of shoppers. So small minute changes can impact millions. So why would you throw away A9 and then go and start with A10? You wouldn't. It doesn't exist and there's no literature that I've found on it. So I think that's quite important as well um, to understand. I mean, if we go back to 2016, they were using uh, 100 machine learning models. Um, another thing to be aware of across the Amazon platforms I'm quoting here, they're managing different catalogs, indexes, and ranking models. So effectively, not all uh, the markets are built the same in terms of ranking and search value. So what that means by that is when you get an update in the US, it doesn't update in Germany, and, and they've got separate teams. And on those teams, they run quality control tests, and they take a period of traffic of time before they push out an update. Yeah, So it's platform dependent so whilst you've still got a9 being the main driver overall on a global level that are used on the platforms the updates and stuff that you see are not all um they're not all coming from one place therefore it goes across everywhere else it's platform specific yeah Okay. So yeah. what happens Makes is sense. the data is collected from products, including sales reviews and the other bits I'll get into in a moment. And what they do is they've got training data, which is collected from customer behavior logs because behavior drives the impact of relevance and ranking on Amazon. So I'll give an example to quote, we use search to collect our training sets several times per day. We compute the unique set of keywords issued for each context of interest. The context can be a combination of marketplace category and some user features. Within that is context of query and textual similarity related to the query. Uh, this is why behavioral features drive Amazon's rankings. Now, there are, I'll read some, there's some quotes and I'll break these down into layman's terms. So to quote here, since the most relevant products appear higher in ranking, the observed click-through rate at a given position captures not only the position bias, but also the typical relevance at this position. So what that breaks down into layman's term and into English is what the position bias means that you have a higher click-through rate at the top before fewer and fewer clicks come down. So it goes back to those points earlier on. Of the activity, 64% of clicks are done on the first three products at the top. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to the relevance, being high on the page means you tend to have a higher click-through rate than the lower-placed item, even mm -hmm. if the lowest-placed item is more relevant. So that can be a number of things. That could be come down to uh, the unit price of the product because people can be looking for deals on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, for training the ranking models, we use label based on customer actions such as purchases, add to, uh, add to basket, which is add to cart, or clicks. Right. So mm -hmm. you've got two sets of labels. You've got positive and negative labels. 
So positive labels are clicked, add to cart and purchased. They're also one called consumed for digital categories like Kindle, Amazon Music. So example, you can't see someone drinking a can of cola that they bought off Amazon, but Amazon right. can see the experience you utilized by how long you watched the movie, whether you shared the link to that movie and how many times you've watched it. Yeah. So they've got that additional data there and that will feed into the system of the positive and negative labels. It comes back to the whole point of relevance. So ignored results, I'll get to because I see you're starting to look a bit confused now. Right. You know, no, I'm not confused. I'm, I'm thinking through this a little bit more too. And I, and I was going to verify. So would that be, you said sharing visual or digital content, like how many times you're consuming that content? Would that go as far as sharing that listing on social media or on the website or anything yeah. like so that? So what, it, what you're saying is they've got negative and positive labels. Amazon know, wants to know just as much about what you don't like as what you do. And that's why they're allocated two sets of labels. So True. the negative labels fall under a subcategory of ignored results. So product was shown, but no action was taken. If the customer is on the results page and picks number three, then number one and number two will get a negative vote attribution. So let's just quickly tie this back into optimizing a listing. See optimizing listing as the flat vector rather than 3D. And what I mean by that is you do the title, you're going to do the bullet points, you do the backend keywords, you do the description, right? You've got photos that are engaging, yeah? So you're thinking of it in that way. You think, oh, if I've written my bullet points right, you know, am I focusing uh on, on the benefits over the features and stuff like that well the next step you've got to think about is the level of engagement right and so this is where conversion on a continuum comes into play let me just pull up my notes uh just blended score i'm skipping some of this stuff because it can be quite complex right. it, it's all adding to yeah that basic so you're talking about the basis of whatever person does. Right. Yeah. So, so if title, we, yeah. if we look at, when we look at a listing, we look at in the flat sense, not in the 3d sense. Right. Mm -hmm. So if a conversion is on the continue, if you've got a negative and you've got positive labels, if someone comes to that listing and bounces straight off, there's no time on page, right? There's no scrolling up and down. There's no up and view in the images. There's no clicking to look at the reviews. So that listing has got no engagement. Right. But then, the very similar listing that's very relatable to that because of the ranking has to be adjusted in terms of position. If they land on that one and they click and look at the images, there's a micro credit. Yeah. Then if they scroll down and read in the bullet points, they've got the time on page asset there as well. You scroll down a bit further, you go back up to the top and then you add it to cart. Now they didn't buy that, but there still needs to be a calculation in between. So the point I get back to having 3d, is that when you're writing a listing, you need to add a new layer now, which is how are people engaging with this? And what can I do to maximize the engagement on the page? Yeah. Right. Rather than can I write really great sales copy? Because that's one dimensional. They're thinking of it only as the text, not necessarily thinking of a step back of the entertainment. Right. So like, yeah, when, an impression instead of like action. Yeah, exactly. It makes and sense. then you realize is like if if people are clicking on your listing and they're not buying. Right. That will fall into the negative, especially if they bounce off. So they might lock your images, but don't like the price. 
even though you can see the price of, you know from the search page in the thumbnail but the mm -hmm. point is is that you have to start thinking about it in a different light is like how can i make this as engaging as possible so that you know once you've got your listing up you should review it you should get other people to look at it you want to look at your ebc and everything else is it engaging enough? Is it too long? Is it too short? Am I using body points? Is it too much block text? Do you see what I mean? Because we we know that sales drive the platform. Right. Search and we know that we need to add the right keywords to find on the product, but we shouldn't stop there. We've got to think about the engagement as well, because you can still maximize engagement on the page and collect micro credits, right? versus them bouncing off. So it gives you a new way to look at a way that you're optimizing. Well, well is that is that where most people maybe not optimize as well, much? Or well, where? people don't realize about negative and positive labels because they're not necessarily aware of it and they're not, meant, you know, they haven't read the literature and that's totally understandable. But mm -hmm. by reading the literature, you get to understand, go to places like Amazon.science and say, go and look at the joy of search uh, which you'll find on YouTube. It's all out there. Just go and have a look for yourself and then look at your interpretation because of what you're taking. It's research papers that have been provided from the source for you right. to, you know, interpret what is going to be required. And so we're always talking about relevance in a flat set. Is that keyword relevant with that? Well, yeah, it could still be relevant, but what about the engagement on the page? That the higher engagement, the more relevant it is, so that you're now thinking in a 3D motion of an extra layer that you're working with. I like yeah? that. Yeah, I think so, that's a great so takeaway. So all effectively you're doing is you're sharpening your tools to look at new dimensions of how you optimize your listing. You're just adding to that. Lots of people know how to do titles really well. They know how to get a copywriter to write great copy. But there's always that bit more to do. And so it goes right. back to the point. So if you look at the correlation between um, people using PPC to rank, like people will turn around and used to say, oh, it stopped working and everything else. You can't pummel your way to the top anymore. Them days are gone. You need a stupendous conversion rate, right? If you've got a poor conversion rate, then you will drop down. Yeah. So it has a negative impact. Goes back positive and negative labels. So you right. need to have a very well-optimized listing and start, and especially in uh, competitive categories, you're going to need to have some conversion history because you're starting from a dead start with a new product. So let's say you go, right, I want to run keywords on headphones. You've got no chance because all the people that grounded in and history, not only that, there's a chance you won't even get any impression share. The keywords, even if you try and bid 20 bucks, you're still not going to get any love right so it comes back to the again is like you want to maximize the conversion rate as high as possible now here's another problem when you log into um which we may should cover on another show is that me and ellis broke down uh conversion rates from the um the business reports they're way out they're, they're way out some people might say i've got 40 percent conversion rate it's really 26 so we've got a few calculations. Let me see if I've got the calculations here. Just uh, might be in these slides. Right. And when you find that, I also, when I was listening to Ataki Gabe, I thought it was fascinating when people are ranking products at such a high conversion rate. You said 
the negative impact on your listing can be if your conversion rate drops. So if you're doing search find buy, or if you're doing those rankings of giveaways, it's a hundred percent conversion. All of a sudden, even if it drops to like 85% conversion, that's a negative impact on where it was. Wait, versus wait, where it, is. It, it suddenly goes from give a hundred people a keyword to search and buy it. All hundred people do. That's a hundred percent. Then let's go back to, the average on the platform say a 20% conversion rate because the search's intent is not that high. So you end up going back to real purchases on the platform. And this is why a lot of people drop. So people may blame their product and say, oh, maybe my product's not good enough. It's not necessarily the product is not good enough. Your conversion rate is not sustainable at 100%. Right. And that's where the problem lies. But it's still a great tool for people to use. People use it still effectively, but it's always good to understand why. Right. I was going to say, you, you might have to adjust or tweak some, like not make it 100%, but almost hedge your bets and make it a little yeah. bit lower, but consistent. So you over Yeah, I don't think I have them here in these slides. We have to do it another day, but I've got two calculations, one to work out your true organic conversion rate and one to work out your true PPC. Because there's things like mm. subscribe and save and stuff that you, you'd need to make adjustments for the calculations. Um, because, that yeah, that would that would inflate your your conversion rate higher than what it traditionally is. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and yeah, going back to say high velocity products, I might actually, can I share my screen and show you yep. a, um, a sl uh, slides here? Cause I think it'd be easier to do so. Um, Yeah, and just just kind of reset for everyone who's listening and watching. We have Dan McMillan, who's who's kind enough to talk about the A9 algorithm, and again, that's the search and uh, functionality which helps rank products on Amazon, and just the science behind it, really uh, putting the together the data, the conversion rates, all yeah. the fun assets that no one really wants to deep dive into, but actually helps understand where Amazon's coming from to help almost reverse engineer the ranking process and getting products listed on page one or page two and, and right, being successful on there. Share here window crime tab. All right. Okay, there we go. Just... Go ahead and add there. Right. So problems ranking with high velocity products. This comes back to the ranking algo. There's only so many ad position placement worthy of eyeballs. So for a high velocity keyword with established ASINs that are already converting, it can be extraordinarily difficult breaking and getting the impressions, even with phenomenal conversion rate. So this is why you're hearing people bid $20 a click without getting impressions. So depending on your stamina, if you keep going over time, Amazon's algo may determine to favor your campaign, right? But there's no telling how long that will be, uh, but it could give you a nice boost off down the road. So let's look at the answer. Is there a special calculation? The answer is yes, no, and some common sense. So. What this is here is a, an example of a chart. I'm using two extremes. So keyword one is showing position one, position two, position three of fi fictional sales of a thousand units a day uh, running PPC on this high velocity keyword. Fictional sales, position two, 500, and then position number three at 250. So if you're looking to spend money on PPC and you're like, well, how do I calculate for this? then you look, maybe look at the lower hanging fruits. You might go, do you know what? There's a mid-tail keyword. Let's start with that one, right? 
right? So mm -hmm. keyword two, 50 units a day. Well, that's still quite a lot. If your uh, placement, if you're looking for a top of placement with a conversion rate expressed as 20%. But if you look down position number five, you go, all right, five units a day. That's achievable, right? So when right. you break it down, so to get to position number four, you might aim for at least five orders a day. If your conversion rate is 20%, then that may mean five orders, which is then divided by a conversion rate, which is equal to 25 clicks. Sure. So if the uh, cost per click is $5 at that position, it will cost you $5 divided by conversion rate, which is equal to $25 per acquisition on average or $125 per day, which comes back to the point of gaining impression share and the cost of running expensive top of search campaigns. So and usually a market that's red hot, generally you'll have a higher cost per click. So how do we launch PPC and then taper off knowing when our numbers land for break even? Well, they all come with their pros and cons. Either way, you're going to need to pick your poison. So if you were to adjust the bid out the gate, it would all, almost certainly affect the ad placement. You drop the bid. That means someone in the ad placement algorithm and they're bidding higher with you. Generally, it's going to be higher than you, right? That's where you come mm -hmm. to the downside of adjusting the bid. But if you start pulling back on the daily budget versus decreasing the bid, you're less likely to lose that position. So at least with budget caps, your campaign will run in most cases, but you'll lose advertising for the rest of the day after you've burnt through the budget. Yeah, so it's mm -hmm. another way of doing it to create this pullback. So you've got a hybrid version. Twice a day, manually address top of search boost in your campaign. So you start the day at, say, 900%, and then 12 hours later, you drop it to 0%, and then you work out if it makes economic sense, right? So you're going to play around with these factors, and then you find a sweet spot, and then you generally get your ranking costs under control as you taper off over the six- to eight-week period. So to wrap this part, in summary, competitive conversion rate and orders matter highly. Highly optimized listing matters highly. And you've got to remember going back to earlier point in the show, your conversion rate is on a continuum. So engagement, add to cart, clicks, and don't see uh, conversion as a static object. Right. That's amazing. I love that. that that's, yeah. that's all really great content. And I know uh, kind of the takeaways, there's so much that we just added in that 39 minutes or so that we've just been talking. But uh, but for, for everyone who's kind of, wants to learn more, maybe Danny, do you have any like parting words? I know like we jam packed it in there just so people can take it and apply it today. Uh, what are those kind of like parting things that you want to make sure people take away and do that for Q4? Is there anything specific or uh, regarding yeah. this? Yeah. I mean, it's very kind of straightforward. Like we're all trying to learn all the time. What I love about Amazon sellers as well, they're very engaged and they're very into marketing and everything else. And they're passionate about it. Um, and I think what happens is when Amazon are providing conversion rate data that's incorrect, it really shifts the basis of your business until you recalibrate it and understand your true conversion rate. It's the same with PPC. We had to come up with a solution. It's like, how do we put something together? Now, you, that's very abstract what I've done because I said a 1,000 units a day because I'm being over extreme. Because right. what people do level. is they, yeah. they, they have a load of budget for burn. Like if you've only got so much budget, right, to burn on PPC and it doesn't work, that product's dead unless you go and borrow a load of other money. 
So what about if you add a format? What about if you go low-hanging fruit, mid-tail keyword, I need to get X about the day, and I'm going to express this as 20% conversion rate. This is going to be my daily cost. I will use capped budgets, and I will run this for eight weeks to see where it takes us. Then you can put that as a line item in your spreadsheet and go, here is a basis of my marketing cost, rather than go, shit, I need to rank this product. Let's throw a load of money at it and then find out it doesn't work. Right. So it's trying to come up with things like that that can help sellers to go off and do their own set of calculations because there's no hard and fast rules on the exact science of how it works because there's too many variables to calculate. So we try to simplify a process that you can use as a rule of thumb rather than going, right, I'm going to spend 10 grand on PPC, but don't know how long the budget's going to last, when it's going to, and what kind of results to get. So you target the wrong keyword, then it's going to cost you a lot of money. Like you said, low-hanging fruit is going to just boost that conversion. It's going to like bring validity to that product. I think Amazon then naturally starts to bump it up even more. Um, it's really hard and fast to go to the, the number one ranked product or ones that have like 100,000 searches in a given yeah. month. You know, those, those are difficult to achieve with uh, historical products, uh, just other ranking products and reviewed products. Um, but ranking new products get that low-hanging fruit kind of picking off and kind of working up uh, to picking yeah. off the middle or the little guys, if you will, will really help you achieve long-term success. So yeah. I think that's the, that's amazing. Thank you for packing that all in for our listeners. Uh, but, but you have so much, uh, we, we talked about Branded by Women, we talked about, you know, Seller Sessions Live um, uh, or Seller Sessions, uh, the, the review or the polls and all the fun mm -hmm. stuff. Um, Seller Sessions Live is sold out. It's going to be happening October 7th. Two weeks, right? yeah. So two, two weeks, weeks today kicks off, yeah. So, yeah, is that exciting for you? Like, what, what's kind of like the first the well, event, the it, first event the, you're putting on? It, it's the seventh person. time I've moved to date. Because I'm like, my glass is normally <laughs> half full. I'm like, don't worry about COVID. We'll get it sorted. It'll clear up soon. And you keep setting the date because your intention is good. It's like you want to get people back together, but you have to do it so it's safe. So the date's moved seven times. And right now we've got this little window left and anything can happen in the next two weeks. So I'm just going to be prepared for the unexpected, but I hope we get it off because I feel that the world needs to return in a safe manner. Unfortunately, there's been a lot of people that have been lost to COVID and I'm very sad about that and, and condolences to their families. But the damage coming soon, the psychological damage of being locked down for a number of years and having a lot mm. of restrictions, that is going to have massive impact as well. And the quicker we, the world becomes semi-normal and we get these people back in the room, we get them inspired again, the better. Right, right. There, there's that that balance, fine balance of like safety, but then also inspiration and achievement yeah. and, well, and drive be, again. I, I have to be clear, and I've told the delegates, look, we have to be responsible, right? Because when people come back from uh, Prosper, people did catch. I mean, they were there a week long, and it's five days, right. and so you're constantly packed in. This is a one day of it, right? But still, you have to take precautions. And people mm -hmm. have to be responsible for yourself. And I don't get into that vaccine, anti-vaccine. All I care yeah. about is the safety of the people in the room. So I've asked people, your choice. You're not obligated to. If you'd like to wear a mask, wear a mask. Yeah? I'd like you to do a lateral flow test before you come. Test yourself. Be responsible for yourself. You can't tell people what to do. And mm -hmm. But ultimately, everyone's safety is under 
my name. My name's again above the door. So I want everyone to be as safe as possible. And so you're still taking, it's still a risk in COVID times, but I think it's very important for people to get in the room. People are desperate to get out to events. Like in America, it's been running for a lot longer. There's been a lot of events going. There's nothing in the UK. I've done Poland just recently. I've done Estonia and the places like that, but there really isn't been much in the way in the UK. Now we're coming into the, the winter season now. And so a lot of these events are going to start kicking in, but it's been a long while. It's been nearly two years from people. I know, you know, seems like, it seems like an eternity, but uh, I, I think that especially when you look at it, like um, in the, in the fact of you working in an office every day, you're seeing people quite often as an entrepreneur, it's almost one of the loneliest position, uh, you know, positions they can possibly have because it might just be yourself or it might be you and a partner and that's it. And it's just you talking to each other all the time that engagement, that social interaction it is very important on a psychological level. Like you said, I like I personally appreciate the the awareness of ultimately everyone wants to do it safe, safely and make sure you can get in and get out and no one's of no one's of any harm or any sort of like health, you know, thing. Yeah. so I appreciate it. I'm super excited to see it uh, kick off. So well, I'm, you know, the other you know, important thing about it as well, the release of oxy oxytocin, human touch, people mm -hmm. underestimate the power of that. And the difference from that separation from people, from their loved ones and everything else, you know, and, 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 and that integration and going back into society of that, I think it's just really, really important, but it has to be done in a safe manner. Absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate what you do. And I, again, keeping people uh, like the podcast available. And like you said, you're, you're constantly pumping out content so people can stimulate that, that creative side. And uh, I appreciate what you do for the community. I know that's, it's a lot of drain on you for all the different events you're doing, but I think it's super inspiring and exciting for, for other people, like I said, across the, across the pond, if you will, to steal a term and uh, look at what you're doing and be inspired by that. So thank you so much again for hopping on just a day. And we already ran over 15 minutes longer than what That's we fine. first fine. started and said. So, uh, but Hey, thanks for, if people want to connect with you or if they want to like learn more about data Brill or solar sessions live or, future purposes or how to get in touch with you what's that best way if you want to email me danny at sellersessions.com for anything related to that side the conference side and the podcast and then databrill.com uh, danny at databrill.com for ppc awesome well thank you so much danny again for hopping on today and uh uh we'll, we'll have to have you on because i know that was so much information we could go down all these different paths together i appreciate yeah. it i know our listener appreciates it so thank you so much for doing that today thank you take care Awesome. Thanks, Danny. Again, everyone, thank you for hopping on again on a Friday. We like to have a lot of fun, but that was such an action-packed episode. We have a shorter, but there's so much more content that we got to do in that amount of time. So thank you so much for uh, spending the time here on a beautiful Friday, wherever you might be tuning in from. If you're watching this, again, on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, or again, if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast station, Amazon Music, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Crossover Commerce is on all those places, so we're, we're catching up on all of our updated episodes. This is episode 159. That means there's 158 other episodes that if you haven't had a chance, go back and listen to. Super applicable. That covers anything from logistics to product listing to Amazon advertising to uh, marketing to uh, even TikTok. We've been talked about uh, inspiration, localization. You name it, we're going to cover it on the show. So that being said, I'm Ron Kramer. This is my corner of the internet, and this is my podcast, Crossover Commerce presented by Ping Pong Payments. We'll catch you guys next time on another episode next week. Uh, we'll have three more episodes um, that are going to help you
expect, grow, and uh, develop your e-commerce business. Take care.